Kurt Vonnegut. Amen. I like this book, Spencer. I liked it as well. But not enough to talk about it. Episode no. over. Bye. Oh, boy. Um. Oh, yeah. I forgot we're not doing a cold open. So I am your host for the Drug and Pen Writing Podcast that you are now listening to. See how I threw that in there. Now they know what they're listening to. Make sure they know for sure. As if they didn't know when they downloaded it and then hit the play button and then, you know. We actually have quite a bit of people in India who steal our content and put it on their blogs. So it's quite possible that people listen to this and do not know it's the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast unless I say that. Because I don't know what they title it. True. I just know, like, it gives me the ping back and it's like, oh, Sanji shared whatever. But then you go on their blog and it's all in a different, you know, Hindi or whatever. And then it's just like. You see our posts, but not in English. And I'm like, ah, are they stealing? I don't know. I don't really care. If I if I was making money off of this, maybe yeah. I would. Uh, anyway, I am your host, Caleb James. Not Sanji today. Uh, with me today, Spencer, the Martian Man Witch Maker Church. I was wondering if it was going to be like story related. Uh, are man witches still a thing? Probably. How I never understood what made a man which a man which and not a sloppy Joe was it just a brand of sloppy Joe mix or something? Probably. I'm pretty sure I ate those as a child. It's but probably I don't... the the cheap kind, I would assume, right? All pig anus. <laughs> Is oh, that yeah. a fifty percent pig anus? All, All pig, pig anus. Uh, today we are for the book of the month, The Sirens of Titan by Mr. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Um, this is the second book he wrote. Uh, a couple notes. Before we start, because what I'm going to do, because this is a very convoluted book, mm-hmm. I'm just going to read the plot synopsis like off of Wikipedia or something. Yeah. That way we don't have to just like shittily explain the plot mm-hmm. as we go and we could just touch on the themes or else we'll be here all day. Right. So what I do know about this book is he wrote it very quickly for money. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't really have much of an editor. Uh, maybe it did like a proofreading pass, but I don't think it had an actual editor to keep this in line. I forget if it was the editor like quit or got fired or whatever it was. They just put the book out and it kind of does show because this book does skip all over the place. It's intentional, but obviously if you had an editor, it'd be like Slaughterhouse Five. It'd be reeled back and more understandable. There was a there was a decent time gap between his first book and this one and this book. Um, I think, you know, there was some short stories and stuff in between there. Well, I think he kind of wrote this like it was going to be his last book because it, up to this point, he, like you said, his first book and then a big space and his second book. I don't think he thought he was going to become like the great writer that he was. Now, the story I heard whenever I was like looking up videos and reviews and stuff about this, the story I heard was like he was just at a party with some like friends and like somebody was like, hey, you should write another book. And he was like, yeah, I should write another book. And they went off into a separate room and they kind of hashed out the de- like the main story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of the book and then wrote it, you know, very quickly, like you like you were saying. Well, from what I gathered from his biography, I did not know that his family was super rich. Yeah. And his mom and dad were like very hands off. And I bring that up because that, that's like the protagonist mm-hmm. in the story. Uh, and what is really interesting is... Like, they were very rich and well-to-do, but they kind of ignored him for the most part. I think he was just raised by, like, maids and shit. But then his parents went broke during the stock market crash, the Great Depression. And then he... It's like, that. I'm just... Like, from Slaughterhouse-Five and reading this as the two major works I've read of his already, and then just some of his short stories. It's like, oh, these themes, like, loneliness and stuff really seem to show up in yeah. his work. And he's taking that from his actual life, so... So I always thought, like the Dresden thing in Slaughterhouse Five, he was in the Dresden bombing, survived that, 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's what he's taking, you know, his service record and stuff is what he's getting inspiration for the story. But I didn't realize, like, his whole childhood. Because, like, you read this, but, like, this rich guy who ends up, like, going broke and all this stuff, you're like, oh, it's just a wild fantasy story. But it's like, no, that actually happened to his family. So he actually had some, uh, you know, personal touch with that. So from here on out, how long is this going to Okay, this shouldn't take too long. So I'll just give you the quick overview plot. Anyone, uh, I don't know, skip five minutes ahead or something because this is going to be all spoilers. I'm going to spoil the whole book for you. Well, I mean, we're doing what, I mean, I guess we should go without saying that this, yeah. I hate when people go into a review of something and they get mad when you spoil it. It's like, what the fuck are you watching a review before you, you know, watch a movie? Why are you reading reviews on books before you read the book? Though I do like, I do see some things where they have like non-spoiler reviews, I guess. Which is good when you want to look forward to something in a book. Like, I want some themes to be able to point out, or I want, I do that when it comes to things like Ulysses, like more dense literature that's hard to understand. I'll read a lot about it before I read it. But those are the ones too. It's like you're not. That's not going to be spoiled but, for you. Yeah, but I mean, like I could see that aspect of like, like I don't know if I want to spend the time to jump into this book or movie or yeah. show without at least knowing something about it beforehand, but not having the big, you know, thing revealed. But if you're reading something like The Shining yeah. or anything that would have like a major twist at the end or something, don't read reviews mm-hmm. on well, it that are going to have spoilers. And I think we have a pretty good track record of any time we talk about anything, it's always spoiled. Always, everything. it's always we can't. I can't. I have such a hard time trying to explain something to somebody. Without spoiling it. Yeah, it's so hard. Uh, This novel begins with an omniscient comment. Everyone now knows how to find the meaning of life within himself, but mankind wasn't always so lucky. Uh, And we start off with Mr. Malachi Constant. I, through this entire book, because I've never read the name Malachi and did not know how it was spelled, I thought his name was Malachi. The whole (laughs) book I read it. And it wasn't until we were driving to the movies, and you said, oh, he says something about Malachi. Man. I was like, who the fuck is Malachi? I was like, oh, that's his name. That makes Dude. so much better. That's more. Well, why would it be Malachi? I was thinking he was like a Spaniard. To make you feel better, I wasn't 100% sure how to pronounce his name either. I wasn't until I started watching like reviews and stuff. That you guys Malachi. And, and I was like, okay, all right. Well, it's spelled M-A-L-A-C-H-I. I would have never guessed that was Malachi. Because in every instance, like the Bible and stuff, that Malachi is present, I've just, I've never read it. And I don't know many Amish people. Mm. (laughs) So, Malachi, not Malachi. But Malachi just, like, it's just, I like Malachi. Because they had the dolls at the end that were hanging. I was like, oh, "Oh, little Malachi's off the tree. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It sounded so much better in my head than little Malachi's. Yeah. Oh, I got a bunch of little Malachi dolls hanging off the tree. Like, that doesn't sound good. I like little Malachi's. It made me think of Maracas or something (laughs) cheerful. <laughs> little Malachi is just weird. I just think of little Amish guys with big fucking sideburns. If <laughs> you haven't tuned out now after that debacle, uh, Malachi Constant is the richest man in a future North America, and it's very interested to see future North America is written in 1950s. Well, I like how richest man on the planet, and it's only like two billion. Yeah, like oh, you get sneezed at for now, like if you're trying to come into the, the big boys club with two billion dollars. Yeah, that, pretty soon that won't even be considered a billionaire. They'll just up the number somehow. Yeah. Uh, so Malachi Constant possesses extraordinary luck that he attributes to divine favor, which he has used to build upon his father's fortune. He becomes the center point of a journey that takes him from Earth to Mars in preparation for an interplanetary war to Mercury with another Martian survivor of that war. Back to Earth to be pillaried as a sign of man's displeasure with his arrogance 
and finally to Titan, where he again meets the man ostensibly responsible for the turn of events that have befallen him, Winston Niles Rumford, who is a giant asshole. Yeah. I do not like this character. I did at the beginning, and then I just, as it progressed, I did not like this character. Well, out of like, um, because as we get into how we'll get into it, that character is like living throughout all of time. Yeah. Have you ever met any character like that that has that like ability in any fiction? That's that not you... douche. Yeah, that's not douche. Like I don't think you cannot not be a douche. Mm, what's his name from Slaughterhouse Five? Wasn't a douche. I can't remember his name now, but he because he gets stuck out of time and he can yeah. see all time at once and just visible. He wasn't a douchebag, but everyone else, you yeah, like Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Rumford comes from a wealthy New England background. His private fortune was large enough to fund the construction of a personal spacecraft, and he became a space explorer. So he's Elon Musk or mm. Jeff Bezos. One of them. It's kind of so types. weird how like relevant. Yeah, I a don't lot like... of the stuff in this book is too. I don't like it. Traveling between Earth and Mars, his ship carrying Rumford and his dog Kazik entered a phenomenon known as a chronosynclastic infundibulum. I really did not look forward to reading that. I just no. don't, I don't know if that's how you pronounce infundibulum. Sounds good to me. He says it so many times in this book, too, and I'm like, God damn it. I don't, I just, in my head, I'm just like, infundibulum. <laughs> yeah. Infundibulum. Uh, which is defined in the novel as those places where all the different kinds of truths fit together. When they enter the infundibulum, Rumford and Kazakh become wave phenomenon, somewhat akin to the probability waves encountered in quantum mechanics. They exist along a spiral stretching from the sun to the star Betelgeuse. When a planet such as the Earth intersects their spiral, Rumford and Kazakh materialize temporarily on that planet. And there's a lot of materialization, and there's some cool stuff with how that works, too, in this book. Uh, And I, for the life of me, could not figure out the science to tell you, but Mm -hmm. it was quite interesting, uh, those experiences that you get to live through the other characters. When he entered the Kronos and Clastic... God damn it, even in this they say it a million times. When he entered the Kronos and Clastic Infundibulum, Rumford became aware of the past and future. Throughout the novel, he predicts events. Unless he is deliberately lying, the predictions come true. It is in this state that Rumford establishes the Church of God, the Utterly Indifferent. And that's where the humor really starts to spike in this, the sarcastic, almost Douglas Adam kind of humor. It's just like, the God is indifferent. Uh, And that's, religion's a big mess, uh, a big theme in this book, but he does it in a really funny way. Uh, So anyway, the God of the Utterly Indifferent on Earth to unite the planet after a Martian invasion. It is also in this state that Rumford, materializing on different planets, instigated the Martian invasion, which was designed to fail spectacularly. So it was purposeful that all these people were just going to die on his uh, behalf. On Titan, the only place where he can exist permanently as a solid human being, Rumford befriends a traveler from Trophimadori, a world that also figures in Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse 5, among others, who needs a small metal component to repair his damaged spaceship. And those were the aliens in uh, Slaughterhouse 5 that mess with... They, they see time at all aspects and can visit time whenever they want. And they have the human zoo and all that stuff. And the, they're robots. They're robots in this, but yeah. on that one, I thought they were like eyeball monsters or something. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I don't know. Uh, I'm. He might just changed it. Yeah. I mean, this was way earlier than Slaughterhouse Five, so he could have just changed it, but used the same name. Salo, the Trophimadorian explorer, is a robot built millennia earlier to carry a message to a distant galaxy. Oh, so maybe Salo is just the robot and mm, built maybe, by the beans. That maybe, makes more yeah. sense. His spacecraft is powered by the universal will to become, or UWTB, the prime mover. Which makes matter and organization wish to appear out of nothingness. I love that he didn't even try to create science for the space travel and all this mm-hmm. shit. He's just like, meh, just the universal will to become. You could just do it. It's magic. Well, also, but though, like, 
Well, considering, like, the time that it was written, like, the science isn't too, like, it's not terrible. No, for, like, the more practical things, but when it just comes to the actual propulsion of the ship. Oh, yeah. Man, it's just space magic. Uh, UWTB, Vonnegut informs the reader, was responsible for the universe in the first place and is the greatest imaginable power source. A small component on Salo's spacecraft breaks and strands him here in the solar system for over 200 millennia. He requests help from Tralfa Midori, and his fellow Tralfa Midorians respond by manipulating human history so that primitive humans evolve and create a civilization in order to produce the replacement part. So essentially everything that happened from the Great Wall of China to human society in the modern era is all just... Uh, Stonehenge. Or all, yeah, Stonehenge. Or basically just failed messages, or some of them succeeded, but it's essentially these aliens sending messages through the humans building shit to the robot guy to read and it would be like we're coming and that would be like the great wall of china stonehenge would be like should be there in a few more a few more uh millennia like whatever like it's just it's so ridiculous rumford's encounter with the chronosynclastic infundibulum the following war with mars and constance exile to titan were manipulated via the trophomodorian's control of the uwtb Stonehenge, the Great Wall of China, and the Kremlin are all messages in the Trophimadorian geometrical language informing Salo of their progress. Which, again, was very basic and stupid things that they shouldn't even have to send like that. But As it turns out, the replacement part is a small metal strip brought to Salo by Constant and his son Chrono, born of Rumford's ex-wife. A sunspot disrupts Rumford's spiral, sending him and Kazakh separately into the vastness of space. An argument between Rumford and Salo moments before concerning the contents of Salo's message left unresolved because of Rumford's disappearance, leads the distraught Sallow to disassemble himself, thereby stranding the humans on Titan. It is revealed that the message was a single dot, meaning greetings, in Trough of Midorian. It was so ridiculous. Yeah. Like this, they send oh, that's this, for nothing. Send this stupid robot across all time and space and fucks up all of humanity's progression just to say greetings to some you don't even know who. Chrono chooses to live among the Titanian birds. After 32 years, his mother dies and constant man... Constant manages to resemble Salo. Using the part delivered so many years previously by Chrono, Constant repairs the Trophimadorian saucer. Salo wishes to place the aging Constant at a shuffleboard court, but Constant insists on being dropped off in Indianapolis, where he dies of exposure in wintertime Indianapolis while awaiting an overdue city bus. A very sad way to go. As he passes away, he experiences a pleasant hallucination secretly implanted in his mind by a compassionate Salo. The Sirens of Titan largely deals with questions of free will, with multiple characters being stripped of it, and the revelation that humanity has been secretly manipulated for millennia for an inane purpose. Playing major roles in the story, free will and the lack thereof become major themes of Onigan's later novels, especially Slaughterhouse-Five and Breakfast of Champions, another one we need to read. More broadly speaking, lack of agency has been a hallmark of Onigan's novels, with the protagonist struggling against forces they can never overcome and often can't comprehend. None of the characters in the Sirens of Titan have chosen to be in their position, but are driven by forces and wills besides their own, and can do no more than try to make the best of it. At the end of the book, Constant concludes, A purpose of human life, no matter who is controlling it, is to love whoever is around to be loved. So, before we get into our official breakdown here, what was your overall review of this book, out of five? I'm struggling between like a three and a four. I'm the same. I was going I gave it a three on Goodreads. I'd probably give it a three and a half just because I did enjoy it. Yeah. But it was like kind of like a middle of the road novel. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was entertaining enough to hold your interest, but it wasn't enough to leave me with any, you know, real strong feelings one way or the other. Um, wasn't a bad book by any means, but there are a couple parts where I zoned out just because the writing was very repetitious and some like he would uh, 
name the whole whatever like he was talking about um it's almost like a david foster wallace where he just names a bunch of random shit and like for what purpose i don't know but it, like i said it was entertaining it was it's worth a read i recommend oh it. yeah definitely it. especially definitely. if you're a fan of old science fiction uh it'd be interesting to compare that to like a newer science fiction story that deals with the same themes of like the the overall themes like time travel and stuff mm-hmm. not not the uh you know the free will and the war and religion and all that stuff but uh what was your major takeaway of this I mean, like story aside, just like some of the major themes that they dealt with, uh, like like that little thing I read at the end there about the free will was the major one. Yeah. Um, and I always I've been thinking about that a lot. Like the 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 debate against free will is everything you've done in your life, uh, and every moment and experience is what creates your next moment and experience. Yeah. So you know, every time you've done something. That's going to lead you to whatever you do next. So technically, do you have free will or are you predestined to do what you're going to do based on previous experiences? One thing I, I like about those kind of stories is uh, when and you kind of get that a little bit in, in this story, too, is like Rumfeld is setting everything up. But it's like, is he even setting it up? Well, he's control, too. Yeah, like it's like he's kind of like, is he the one? Is he the puppet master, or is he just another puppet of you know what I mean? Like, and then the aliens, who's controlling? If they're controlling him, who's controlling them? You yeah, know, it's just it goes, it goes on and on. Um, yeah, because the aliens had to control him. Because basically, what it was, the Trophimadorians or whatever they are, they one way or another made it so Rumford. Rumford is controlled. He he thinks he has free will, but they I think they set it up. Are they so, the one who caused his accident? Which seems like a ridiculous stretch because what they need is that little piece that the Chrono, the son of um not Malachi, <laughs> the son of Malachi and was it named Beatrice, which yeah. is Rumford's wife. The their son Chrono, who is I think born and raised on Mars, he has a little lucky charm, which is a little piece of metal. And that turns out to be the missing piece yeah. for uh, Salo's yeah. ship that sends him away, I believe. Now, did you did you say in your view that the Trefligoians, or however you say that, they're the ones who started the the Mars like base, or is that Rumfeld? Well, Rum Rumford got the technology for spaceships and everything from Salo's designs, from his saucer, and the universal will to become. Uh, so that's how that came about. But that's. The aliens, I think, set it up so Rumford would do all this work so that kid would be born, so the kid would get the piece of metal, and then they could finally end up giving the metal back to Salo for his ship. Seems very convoluted yeah. and unnecessary. Like, why couldn't but, they find an easier way to get that piece of metal? But I mean, metal? like, who started the Martian... Ba- like, you know what I mean? Who sta- Who was... Rumford, I believe. But, so, but I mean, like, he was the one behind... Like he's he's like he he made all the bases and all the stuff there. I mean, he was the one bringing the people back, and was he just jumping to those places in time? I think he did everything. Uh, like I said, he used Salo's knowledge, but because what he does on Mars is he sets it up so he pretty much enslaves a bunch of humans yeah. to create this army. He puts these antennas in their head and wipes their memories, which also goes with the free will thing because you know if you wipe somebody like. Because at some point, uh, Malachi becomes Unk. Yeah. He's just this random guy in the army, and it switches very abruptly to this scene. And because uh, he he's going on all these drug benders and stuff on Earth. He's the richest guy on Earth. He's doing all this shit. And essentially what uh, replicates the stock market, like the mirrors the stock market crash, uh, the 1930s, there's like a great uh, 
economic downfall where you know, I think he just people just stopped investing in him because he was because bl- well it was, a, it was an economic downfall of his own creation yeah. but obviously since he's the richest man on earth that's gonna spread out yeah but it was like if the whole economy crashed or anything it was just like because like he had a party and he was just signing away oil wells to like random women and all the all these businesses he had he was just flubbing and fucking everything well, up because like they do they do a a cool little thing in the beginning of this book where they tell you exactly what's gonna happen in the book how it's gonna happen and when it's gonna happen and then it all does and it, it actually happens that way so like you know Rumfeld is telling Malachi that hey you're gonna go to Mars you're gonna be wearing me and my wife you're gonna be having you're gonna gonna have have a kid together you're gonna go to Mercury. You're going to come back to Earth, and then you're going to go to Titan. And to do that, he's like, he throws this big party and, you know, tries to get rid of all of his money so he doesn't sell his stock in the space building business and and all that stuff. But because of that, he's in such a downturn that whenever they do ask him if they want to come with him, he's just like, yeah. Yeah, but he's going to go to jail and everything, too, I think. Or he's gonna like he owed people so much money he's gonna go broke like just because he was getting sued too mm, yeah because didn't like one of his product like cigarettes or something it was like I think it caused cancer or something awful but yeah like so the free will thing like everything that happens to him was predestined which is very interesting because he's kind of a a selfish jerk for most of like the beginning of the book and then when he becomes unk and he has his mind wiped it's almost like he's just like reset factory reset and then it's like oh well he hasn't had all these experiences and growing up rich but his father wasn't around and all this stuff so it's like he never becomes the even though he's an adult like his mind was wiped so it's not it's like he never became the person that he did so he's just default settings this is your base if you go with the free will explanation of everything you've ever done leads up to what you're going to do well now you don't know what he's going to do because you know he never did anything he's his mind's wiped but he's controlled by someone else like and also like his mind got wiped multiple times. Yeah, multiple times because on the fringes there's always something there, and he writes himself these notes, and then he keeps finding the notes, and uh, he ends up killing his best friend, but he doesn't know it. Like the army makes him kill, strangle his best friend, but he doesn't know it was his best friend when he did it. Uh, that plays a major role in here. I like the whole thing on Mercury where they get sent to Mercury and they go in the caves, and uh, because Rumford sets it up so the Martian army is just going to lose. Yeah. They're going to go attack Earth, every country on Earth, and they're just going to get annihilated. Well, yeah, because he comes and he tells the people of Earth, like, hey, Mars is coming. Yeah, he does it so he can start his own stupid religion, uh, which works. But 99% of the Martians, they all die and stuff. But he sends a guy named, was it Boak? Something like that. I wasn't sure exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, I don't say Boak. Uh, him and Unk, a.k.a. Malachi, uh, he sends them to Mercury, and they think it's an accident. They think they're just, they don't know where they're at. He sends them way underground, and then they live with these things called harmoniums, and they're just like diamond-looking, like aqua-colored blobs or something yeah. that just live off the vibrations of Mercury. It's very interesting. And then uh, that goes with like the isolation and the loneliness because they're stuck there. And then these two guys end up like hating each other. Well, I don't think that Bozak guy or whatever really hates uh. Unk, it's just vice. He he's like does Unk doesn't like him or whatever. So he goes and just wanders, and they have, they take these things called goofballs. It's a goofy science. Yeah. It's supposed to oxygenate the oxygenate the blood, and then you can just basically not breathe and be alive. Yeah, you plug up your nose. Yeah, so and, you, and like your ears, I think. Yeah, so the vacuum doesn't like explode you or whatever. But yeah, so it's it's very 
shitty science on that but they take these goofballs and they essentially have enough food and supplies they could just live on mercury forever with these harmoniums uh but Unk gets all frail and gross the boac guy he gets like in really good shape and he loves it there he loves those harmonium feels like he can't do any bad there and ultimately he chooses to stay there with them it also gets i almost get like a uh like a symbiote kind of feeling because they start like feeding off of him too they feed off of his uh heartbeat like, because they feed off a sound and vibration. Uh, but he likes them, so he stays there. And there's actually a very sad scene where a bunch of them end up dying because he's he's negligent for a minute, mainly because of Unk. But they they were stuck there because the ship could only go down, and they th- three years they're stuck in this caves of Mercury, and they don't know how to get up and uh, get out. And then what it turns out is they just have to flip the ship upside down so it could go up, thinking up is down. Yeah, uh, It's very cool how he, he wrote that, but very goofy as well. But anyway, Unk, he comes back to Earth, and he's celebrated as a hero, the Space Wanderer, because that's what Rumford told everyone in his religion, that this guy's going to come back and, uh, you know, I don't know, be the savior or whatever of mankind, which is not what ends up really happening. No. And there's a very weird society that has developed because of this religion. They handicap themselves. Yeah. So, like, if you're really pretty... You put on really ugly makeup and a wig and make yourself ugly. If you're really strong, you add 50 pounds of weights on your back. And, like, they make it so everyone's equal in some way. So if you have great eyesight, you put glasses on to make your vision blurry. It's, like, really weird. That I didn't quite understand the purpose of. Like, why would anyone, like, because they were all very happy. That was weird. Like, all society was happy. Everybody was peaceful. It's like, why would you be so happy to handicap yourself like i don't know how you talk anyone into that one but in the 50s maybe it was different though i mean when you got a guy who and and it's known that he is coming in and out of time because it was like they make big spectacles of it yeah especially like even in the beginning of the novel like that's a big thing like malachi had to come in in a disguise to his house so people wouldn't know who the person was it was a big killer dog yeah but yes everyone would line up and they would want to see it like it's a show and that happens every i forget what it was uh couple months or something. Yeah, like three months or something. But anyway, to cut this a little short, so Malachi, he's, you know, he's the space wanderer and the prophecy and all this stuff. They bring him back uh, to the house of Rumford on Earth, which is where he met Beatrice, his wife, uh, Rumford's wife, who he, Malachi, ends up, you know, impregnating with Chrono. Uh, she again. She got her mind wiped, too, and then Chrono didn't know. Yeah, but because she had the... Because she... Had the kid where they were in Mar at Mars, like he wants yeah. to go and tries to find them because they've already had this kid and stuff. And but he they didn't, didn't know him, so they yeah. essentially want nothing to do with him. Well, they don't. Or they just don't remember him yeah. from mind wipes. Well, Chrono, I don't think got mind wipes. I think he just didn't meet him. But he had no interest in him. He's a little badass kid. Like anyway, they uh, again predestined. They have no free will, even if they think they do. So they're sent to Earth, and they live. And then they're, they're running a little, as I called it, a Malachi shop. Yeah. They were selling little Malachi dolls. Yeah, because he's like uh, Malachi becomes like the antithesis of like mm-hmm. what you the religion. Yeah, yeah, of like what you should not be like. You you know. Yeah, that's why he celebrated because he was. Uh, which it, there's a big unveiling where it turns out, oh, you are. Malachi Constance, this fucking evil, not necessarily evil, but slothish, fucking no good, uh, you got all your fortune by luck, and we don't believe in luck anymore, and, you know, we don't believe God helps anyone, and you, because his dad created this fortune by just picking random words out of the Bible, and then, like, he'd base whatever words he got off of stock market shit or something, 
and then as he just invests all his money into random shit based out of the Bible, well, since God is indifferent in their new religion, Malachi's fortune and everything that came with it could not be God-given because God doesn't care. Yeah. So he's just this slothful, fucking useless guy, and everyone hates him. It's like, don't be like a Malachi. And then they have Sip and him and his family, uh, Beatrice and Crono, which they get a really raw deal. Yeah. Because Beatrice, like, she had, she just married Rumford. That was her whole mistake in life. And Chrono hasn't, like, why is well, he picked on? Because he was just well, a kid. Well, they were married before he got stuck in the trans Chronos from Tibilium. And, like, it's <laughs> like, and then once that happened, like, because they even say, like, he has, you know, she doesn't see, because she doesn't like seeing him come and go. Like, it freaks she doesn't, her out. Yeah, she doesn't like him anymore. And he always tells her bad news. So and... I imagine before that, like, their, their marriage was but they never okay. Had, but they never had sex. Yeah, it specifically stated that she just was like pure or something. She wouldn't have sex with mm. him or anything. And what happens is Constant rapes her, by the way, which I don't know if you remember that scene. It was very fucked up. I think it was like in a dark room or something. And again, Rumford set it up. So it's, it was almost like a thing. It's like Constance. But who, then again, it's like, did he set it up? Well, I'm pretty sure he did. But it was like, okay, so Malachi is like the evil raper guy too on top of everything. But at the same time, when I was reading that scene, I was like, doesn't seem like he really wants to rape her because he went out of his way to make himself detestable to this woman mm -hmm. so she would not like him at all because he didn't want the future to happen that Rumford said it would because Rumford tells him at the beginning, you're going to marry my wife, you're going to have a baby with her, and you're going to go live on Titan. He's like, I don't want that shit. What the fuck? So he does everything he can, and she does too, does everything they both can so this won't happen, but then it all still comes yeah. together. And I think what it was was he didn't know it was this this lady. He just thought it was some beautiful. I forget it was like a general or something. It was when he was unk, wasn't it? Yeah, it was when he was unk and he had his mind wiped, I believe. And like the general or somebody was like, hey, I think it was actually uh, Rumford dressed as a general. He was like, hey, the most beautiful woman you could ever want is behind that door. And he like really like talks him into it. And I, I feel like he used the antenna to get him in there, maybe. Probably. Because it causes this antenna in their head causes such pain that they have to obey. That's why he got all the Martians to pretty much commit suicide uh, by invading the Earth. Uh, it was something along those lines. So it was like, okay, he like raped her, but it wasn't necessarily a free will rape. You know, uh, it was terrible. But same, you can't really fault the guy if he had no choice. So they ship them on. They put him on a ship, send him off to Titan, and that's where Rumford actually lives. Like he can be physical. His physical body lives there all the time. He doesn't dip in and out of the existence there. And he lives with the sal the robot Salo, and he lives on his mansion he built, where he had Martians build. He has a fight with the robot, and he's sick because something with the sun flares or something. Long story short, he ends up, he, he goes away. He's just off into infinity now. No more like, Rumford. Well, like, uh, the way that I understood that was, like, as, like, because, like, he was just jumping around, like, in our solar system. Yeah. Now he's jumping around every like throughout yeah. the universe that yeah, so he's, he's not gone. like dead but he's just going he doesn't different exist. places yeah he doesn't like exist on well the thing is he doesn't exist on titan anymore like mm -hmm. he did because he was permanent there it's not permanent there now he's just in the universe uh well, see and i always took that like that that was kind of like he that's where like his he always came back to like he'd go from titan to like earth back to titan to well, mars that, to titan like you know what i mean well i think he went to those other places but he specifically was always on titan i think so it was like dr manhattan situation where you could be in multiple places that's what i got from it but anyway he gets in a fight with the robot because he finds out about the aliens that made him do all this stuff and he finds out there's no free will and this whole stupid thing with the the messages on earth 
And he was like, this sucks, this bullshit. Well, he, he was, he's mad because Tolo wouldn't sh- tell him what the message was. Well, that's what, and th- that was the final nail in the coffin because he unbefriends him. Yeah. <laughs> like, before, right before that. But then, like, yeah, that was the nail in the coffin. He wouldn't tell him that. It was just greetings. Uh, then the robot actually does decide to tell him, but then he's already gone. Uh, then you have Chrono, t- uh, Malachi, and I think they just call her B by this point. They live, they're living on the planet. Uh, she ends up moving into the mansion. Malachi's just a mountain man. And then uh, Chrono goes and lives a bird. With, he lives with a bunch of fucking giant bluebirds. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, she eventually dies. Uh, Malachi, sad. Uh, the kid, he's just making a weird nest. And I don't know. The kid's real weird. Salo fixes the ship. And then he ends up sending Malachi back to Earth. He wants to send him to Florida where it's nice and warm. He's like, no, I want to go to shitty Indianapolis, even though I've never been there. Goes there in the middle of the winter. He sits on a bench waiting for the bus. Dies of exposure. And like the synopsis said, he uh, has a hallucination. You know, he. I, I didn't really understand. Why, what brought that about? Was that, that was something like Silo implanted? Yeah, yes. Them? Like uh, Silo hypnotized them. So, so that, it was like a hallucination. That whenever he died. It would be like it, a happy. Yeah. And that's what his happy moment was him meeting uh, Stoney. Yeah. That he strangled earlier in the novel without realizing. Yeah. So I didn't like any character in this book. But you're not supposed to. No, you're not. A lot of it you could tell was taken from, like I mentioned earlier, about the loneliness of Vonnegut's parents not like being there. This guy's dad, he only meets him once when he's in his 20s, and then, then like that's it. Like A lot of stuff's taken from Vonnegut's life, but I think that was just because he had to write the book real mm-hmm. fast. Like That's kind of slapped together, but it was really good. Like the aspects of like his critiques on war, because obviously he was very uh, strong. He's anti-war, yeah. anti-religion. Yeah, this is like the anti-religion, how the weirdness of the religion they create and stuff. Uh, like the biggest thing was the free will, but like the the main endings more of like the re- anti-religious stuff. Uh, then like the anti-war messages just all throughout. Like I said, I, I enjoyed the book. I didn't really take anything. And again, it's just supposed to be a fun sci-fi story, probably. I don't think you're really supposed to take any deep... De- like, not like Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah. Like, you're taking like, well, like deep messages away from it. There's also uh, so much, like, crammed into this book. Yeah, that's what the lack of an editor really shows. Mm. The- because, like, I remember seeing somebody said, like, uh, that... Because the book's not that big. It's, no. only, it's barely over, like, 300 pages. And it has... More crammed in than most novelists is like have book like twice that size. Yeah, but I do think it's a good showing of like you know like the dark humor that Vonnegut kind of gets known for and that like the kind of satirey kind of stuff that that he does you know or you I don't get... know if satire is the right word but kind of like his commentary on on life or what's going on. You really get to see a writer emerging with his own original voice in this. But not quite there. Yeah, you get to see Vonnegut touching on those all those things that made him famous, uh, and, and why Slaughterhouse Five is so good. But he's not quite there yet. He doesn't know how to put it together necessarily. He could tell an interesting story. It was really funny. Uh, but like I said, none of the characters were likable, and even though they're not supposed to, you know, kind of need somebody to care for, right? You th- like, can you name any character in this whole book that you really gave a shit about? I mean, like in the beginning, I like Malachi, like. Not like yeah, maybe I didn't like him, but like I liked reading him. Like you know what well, I mean. Well, you're interested in reading all of them. That's why Vonna gets so good. Like you're interested in reading about the characters. You just don't like any of the characters, which means you don't have any 
uh, like you don't care about their outcome really. That's my only problem is when you don't like any of the characters or you don't have strong dislike for any of the characters, you really have no stakes in what happens to them. Whatever the consequences for their actions are, you it's like okay, good, whatever. Yeah. So like Malachi dies, family they live all but they die in exile on Titan. You're like okay, so what? Rumford he was probably the most detestable character, but he was also probably the most likable character at the beginning until you it unveils like what what he's doing. And then you're just like, oh, I don't know, fuck that guy, I guess. But then you find out it was the aliens. You're like, well, I mean, what would you do? Like, again, the free will thing. It's hard to like anybody or dislike anybody when you know their actions aren't because of, you know, free will. Like, it's not their actions. It's the actions that they have to perform for other people, whether they know it or not. Which is, that actually brings up a really interesting writing point. How do you write a character who is likable or dislikable if the reader knows that it's not their actions. It's like if you programmed a robot to kill people. Are you mad at the robot for killing people? Mm. No, you'd be mad at the person who programmed, programmed them, right? Yeah. But what if you don't know who programmed them? Who are you mad at? Like that that's that's a conundrum. But yeah, I would recommend this book. I'm really interested to read Vonnegut's other stuff. I do want to read his first novel, but I almost kinda wanna skip back and forth between original mm. like first novels to later novels to maybe just because now it's going to be hard. Because, like, I started with Slaughterhouse-Five is the first major book of his I read. Yeah. So I'm just like, that's kind of hard to go from, like, his best work to just, like, a middling average mm-hmm. novel. And it's like, if I read another middling average novel, like his first novel or something, I might not like him as much. And right. I might not want to read something else that's better. Now, should we take a moment and talk about the debate when I when I think when it comes with, uh, with some of his work of, uh, like, the... The literary and sci-fi. Yeah, kind of thing we've kind of talked about before offline. Well, on on podcasts. I think we discussed it on the podcast briefly about, like, why is Vonnegut considered literature when he was mainly a sci-fi writer, but when you read, like, Slaughterhouse-Five, complete sci-fi story, and other than the Dresden World War stuff, it doesn't really read like any kind of literature Mm. But then, because it's so fun and it's like a ridiculous story, but then when you like really go into the themes and stuff, that's straight literature. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I get why he's lumped into literature, why he's considered great literature, but at the same time, like Slaughterhouse-Five, like somebody says that, yeah, that's fucking fine, literature there. But you never hear that about any of his other work. Yeah. Uh, So it makes me think, it's like, I think he's just like a genre writer that just happened to break through with like a great book. Well, from what I've heard, it's like the the later books are are more kind of lean to the slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. of uh of you know his like more literary kind of work again in one of the reviews i heard that he always were trying to uh get rid of like that sci-fi like you know yeah like he didn't want to be clumped stigma, in as, yeah. yeah like i'd be interested like back then what he was categorized as like you know what i mean it would have just been like like a sci-fi genre writer right like i would think so because um, I think it's only now with the passing of time that people are like. Now I'm sure back then two people were like, "Oh yeah, check out these themes and the stuff that he's talking about." But again, I don't think it's until the passing of time that that really kind of gets cemented in. Well, I might be mistaken in this, but I always felt the scenes in Slaughterhouse Five, where uh, again I don't remember the name, fucking main guy's name, but the protagonist isn't like I think is it a mental hospital? Yeah, I think it's a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And he's there with some other guy that I think might have also been in the war. I forget. 
But that guy loves these pulpy sci like this one pulpy sci-fi writer. And Vonnegut makes a point to keep pointing out how like this sci-fi writer tells great stories, but is a really shitty writer. Yeah. And all he does is write sci-fi. And why can't he write little, real literature and like all this stuff? And I was like, is this that makes it, is he just talking about himself now? Is that just his feelings towards himself? Is oh, I'm just a shitty like I tell great stories, sci-fi stories, but I'm not a great writer. Is that I always thought that was maybe you know maybe I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but he might have felt a certain way about that. I don't think he wanted to be known as just a sci-fi writer. And again, that could also come from his high flute and background before his family went poor. Yeah. Uh, because they did have fancy tea parties and all that shit. So I didn't realize he didn't, he was still alive until like, I think it was like the, the mid two thousands. I think like, I didn't think he died until like 2007, 2008. Yeah. I, think. Uh, I, was, I wish I would have gotten into his stuff whenever I was a little bit younger, whenever he was still like around. Well, when was the bombing at Dresden? Like nineteen forty something. So yeah, I think. I think. So I'm not good with history. Assuming he was eighteen to twenty four at that time, yeah, I, it's crazy. The th- like he was pretty old then. He yeah. must have been in his nineties. I would eighties or nineties when he died. I think the last thing he wrote was actually a letter to a high school kid that wrote to him. It was uh-huh. like a really good letter, from what I remember. Uh so anyway, folks, check out uh, the Sirens of Titan. Should I unveil it, Spencer? Unveil what? We always wait till the end of the year to talk about our next year's book goals. Oh, okay. But I think I have a plan for next year's reading list already. Okay. And maybe I'll run it by you real quick. All or right. should we do it off air? You know what? We'll do it off air. Off air? Because it, we'll save it. Because it might change by the time the Christmas that, episode or the New Year's episode that's rolls That's fair. Uh, but anyway, folks, check out si- The Sirens of Time. I only brought that up because I'm trying to think, like, what is our next book? We're actually going to read, uh, what is that book called? The Boogeyman book? Uh, Chasing the Boogeyman. We're going to be reading Chasing the Boogeyman for October's book. of the By month. Richard Chasmar. Chasmar. I'm, I'm pretty sure is how you pronounce his last or is name. Is it a soft? Is it a Chasmar? Ka- I think it might be Chasmar. Chasmar? Chas sounds better than Chasmar. Yeah. What if it's like Malachi Malachi? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be completely wrong. Uh, so anyway, folks, uh, if you want to get on that, read. start reading that now. Because that's going to be the Halloween. That's our Halloween mm-hmm. book. And we've are by the way, uh, if you go to drunkenpenwriting.com, we are open for Halloween submissions now. I already got a handful in, but I got them in before I even put up the post. So I have a feeling they might come in like hotcakes or be one of those years where we just get those five and no more after hey, that. I mean, that wouldn't. I, I don't really want to edit all that stuff, so yeah. I'll read all. But anyway, uh, yeah, so Chasing the Boogeyman. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at drunkpenwriting, Instagram, Facebook at drunkenpenwriting. Uh, and we've been. I think posting stuff. I don't fucking know. Anyway, uh, Nature's been putting stuff on there. Yeah. And now you know what? If you love our book of the month, which I don't think anybody does, you can give us a review and tell us about it at iTunes or something. I don't fucking know. Uh, so yeah. Um, YouTube, the sirens of Titan, if you want better reviews, cause I'm sure they're out there. Uh, so thank you for listening. We'll check you out next time.